If you have your Bible, I should say, take out your sword. I always have to be careful doing that in Alaska because someone is bound to have a sword in Alaska. So, take out your Bible, turn to the 34th chapter of Ezekiel. 34th chapter of Ezekiel. That's going to be our main and central text this morning for week two of Advent. When we celebrate Advent, we are celebrating the coming, which is what Advent means, the coming of Christ in His first Advent. The coming of the Son of God to redeem sinful mankind. And when we think about Advent, there are four pillars that set up and establish what Advent is all about, and what the, and the, what the, the fullness of Christ has come to bring and declare to humanity. Those four pillars are hope and peace and joy and love. Hope that Jesus came as a light in the darkness to stand as the only hope for humanity. Hope. Jesus came, or excuse me, peace. Jesus came to give peace to every soul that would enter his flock. Peace with God, peace within, peace with each other. Joy. Jesus came to be an all-satisfying Savior, granting us a delight in him that will forever be experienced as an immovable joy and love. Jesus came to save sinners. And in doing so, is the single greatest display of the love of God for all to behold. The greatest way to know the love of God is to behold the face of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Freddie began this Advent season with the reality of hope. Looking at the prophet Isaiah, there in the 8th century B.C., darkness has crept over the land of Israel. The nation has been divided into a two. Assyria is invading the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom remains, yet they are, they are living in wickedness. And God raises up the prophet Isaiah to declare to the nations and Israel themselves of the sweeping judgment that's going to come over them because of their wickedness, because of their sinfulness. And he, he, he pictures the nations and Israel as well as, as a forest of trees. And these trees are, have grown decayed and the, the fruit that they are giving is, is, is rotten and wicked. So God in judgment says he is going to cut them down. Completely. And yet in the midst of such a dark and indicting picture comes an incredible promise of hope. A righteous branch that will rise up, we're told, out of the stump. Remember the cutting down? The stump of Jesse. That's David's father, King David. So he will come out of the Davidic line, a Messiah who we were told will reign in righteousness and justice who will stand as a signal and beacon to the nations. A signal and beacon of what? Of hope. Because he himself will grow into what becomes the tree of life. 
Freddie did a great job laying that out. He is the hope of the nations. And my friends, because that fruitful branch came in Christ, hope is available to you today. If you have walked in here feeling hopeless, my friends, one look at the Savior will bring that hope right back. For if you have Christ, there is never a moment that you are without hope. And because He is coming again, no matter what peril the world may see, my friends, we have hope in Jesus. It can be taken. But in that promise, there was also another aspect of it. You remember it talking about that the, the, the lion will play with the lamb and the, the, the child will put its hand over the adder, the viper's nest, and you're like, well, what's, what's that all about? And the answer is peace. He's going to bring peace. And that's what this week is all about. Fast forward 300 years. We are now in the 6th century B.C. The northern kingdom is completely gone. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, has completely fallen under the judgment through a bunch of wicked kings that have basically sold their nation. Remember, in the Davidic covenant, as the king goes, so goes the nation. So the identity and the safety of Israel is tied to their king through the Davidic covenant. And a bunch of wicked kings have ridden up, and so God has brought judgment upon the southern kingdom. And now it is in the process of being swept away by a wicked king called Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. And in the midst of them being swept away, Israel is literally in the process right now of being destroyed, of having their people swept away. God raises up a prophet to declare to Israel why this is happening, what's happening, but also to give it a promise of peace, a promise of restoration, a promise of hope in the midst of such peril. And this indeed is perilous, my friends. The bloodshed in Nebuchadnezzar's coming would be unbelievable. And Ezekiel himself would be ripped away from the nation, pulled away, and in the process of all of this, in Ezekiel 28, we're told that Ezekiel's wife dies. He loses his wife, and he loses his nation. And in the midst of this peril, God gives him an incredible promise of peace, beginning in Ezekiel 34. God has just indicted, he's given his final indictment in the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34. God has come down on the wicked shepherds of Israel. Talk about who those are. First, they're the religious leaders, right? False prophets, wicked teachers that have led people into destruction, that have, that have given the kings what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear and have led the people to judgment. They're wicked religious leaders. But that's not the primary shepherds that Ezekiel, that the prophecy of Ezekiel is indicting when it says the wicked shepherds who fattened themselves and stole and fed from the people and on the people. He's talking about the kings. The kings of Israel were meant to be shepherd kings. Talk about it a little bit more in a little bit. But they have been wicked. Jehoiachin, the, the king there now, has wicked. He's basically sold the people off. He's fled in order to save his own skin and has left the people to be massacred. 
And God condemns these wicked shepherds. And there seems to be no one who's going to lead God's people. No one who's going to care for them properly. No one. It's just going to be peril after peril because no man is good enough to lead them. Because men are all plagued by sin. And they will continue to pull the nation in pollution. So be very careful if you think the answer to your problems are in politics. Because they they are sinful people, brothers and sisters. And if you look to them for hope, they will continue to lead you to disaster. But in the midst of this terrible indictment, all of a sudden, everything changes. And an incredible promise comes forward. Because no mere man is going to be brought to lead people to peace. God himself says, I will come. Stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. Lengthier passage. Ezekiel chapter 34. Picking up in verse 11. God's just indicted the wicked shepherds of Israel. And now this is what he says. For thus says the Lord God. Behold I myself will search for my sheep. And will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat with what you've trodden on your feet and drink what you've muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with the side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak of your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. David's been dead for 500 years at this point. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord and I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace. And banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in the land. 
And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no, be, no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beast of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, to, that they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. There are three things I want you to see this morning. that We're going to try to outline. We're going to see this promise of peace foretold. Ezekiel, this promise of peace fulfilled in Jesus, and this promise of peace applied in us. That's really what I wanted you to see unfolded this morning. The promise of peace foretold, the promise of peace fulfilled, and the promise of peace applied to us this morning as we think about the coming of Christ and what that means. The first thing we see in the promise foretold here in Ezekiel 34. God, he's just indicted all of these false and wicked shepherds of Israel. And I won't make you look there. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to just point out a few things. We don't have the, the passage up there. But I just want to show you some of the wicked things that he is indicting them for. He says, you eat fat and clothe yourselves with wool and you slaughter and do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you haven't bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. I, I read that because as a, as a shepherd, as someone who is gotten to be a part of pastoral ministry and the care and, and gotten to spend time in the life of the church. I hear that. And, and honestly, it makes me shake a bit. It makes me fear and tremble a bit. Because here the Lord God is indicting the shepherds for not caring for the sheep. For using their status as a means of personal gain and acclamation to grow fat themselves while starving those in need. While not caring for them, while not bind, bounding, binding them up. And because they're not doing the job of real shepherding and binding and caring, it says that people are being devoured. They're being devoured. And I just want to say this as, an, as a, a bit of an exhortation to the body of Christ. The extension of the Good Shepherd. If we do not do our duty of properly caring and binding the broken and pursuing the lost and the straying, 
and seeking to tend and care to their wounds rather than pouring salt on them, we should not be shocked when they are not in the flock and when they remain outside getting devoured by the beast of this world. God has no part in that and he condemns it and he indicts it. So God does something remarkable. He says, I myself will come and be a shepherd. I will come and be the good shepherd. And notice the things he says in here. He's going to search and seek his scattered and lost sheep out. Verses 11 through 24. He's going to gather them in the greatest of pastures. He's going to, he says, I'm going to make them lie down. That is, he's going to give them rest. He's going to give them rest. He's going to give them nourishment. He says, renowned plantations where there will never be famine. I will give them healing. He will give justice, he says. I'm going to judge between them. Why? Because of all the wicked judging that's been happening, all of the the wicked scales of of injustice and oppression that's taken place, that's, that's taken advantage of his sheep and his people. And he sees it and he hears it. And he says, I'm going to come and be the judge. I will come and bring justice. And it's important that we understand that God's justice and God's mercy are two sides of the same coin. If God was not just, He couldn't be merciful. And if He was merciful, He couldn't also be, like, be just. He has to be both. Both and. Because there's no mercy and there's no real justice. If evil is not undone, if oppression is not broken, if injustice is not removed, Justice is a mercy when you are the one who is broken underneath the hammer of the tyrant and the oppressor and the sinfulness of men. And then we're told something really interesting in verse 23 through 24. Because notice, remember, God said, I'm doing it. I'm going to come. I'm going to. I mean, how many times do you see that? That first person pronoun. I, 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 I. God's going to do it. I'm coming. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. And then all of a sudden, then he says, and I'm going to do it by setting up a shepherd. But you said you're going to be the shepherd. So is God the shepherd or is this human Davidic king the shepherd? We'll see in a minute. It's both. That's right. The answer is yes. Verse 23, 24. I will set up over them one shepherd. How many? One. Not many. There are not many messiahs. There are not many ways. There are not many shepherds. There is one. And if you want peace, if you want everything that God has just promised, rest, peace, nourishment, healing, justice, you'll only find it in one shepherd. Not many. One says here and I will set up over them one shepherd and my servant David and he shall feed them he shall feed them and be their shepherd and I the Lord will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them I the Lord have spoken 
So once again, David's been dead for a long time now. We're 500 years removed from David now. So what some originally thought, some early rabbis and rabbinical scholars thought, well, maybe this means that David's going to get resurrected in the future. And there are some Jewish rabbinics that still believe that. They believe that David is going to be resurrected in the future and be this Messiah. I believe the greater David has been resurrected and is this Messiah, but it's not David, right? David is the personification of what God desires his kings to be. And what does God desire his kings to be? Shepherd kings. Notice what he says in 1 Chronicles 11.2 when he chooses David against Saul. In times past, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. This is God talking to David. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over my people. So notice what God is desiring from David. You will be shepherd, you will be prince over my people. That's precisely what we see here. He's going to be shepherd and he's going to be a prince. He's going to shepherd his people. He's going to be a prince of peace. Good shepherd, prince of peace. And through this, we're told that Yahweh himself is being mediated. Now, the problem is this can't just be another human Davidic king. Because in a few chapters from now, we're going to be told that this king, David, that we're talking about, is going to reign forever. We see this in Ezekiel 37, verse 25. They shall dwell in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. So, it can't just be another man. Because it's going to be eternal. So it has to be an eternal man who also mediates Yahweh. So, you can imagine how confusing this would be. So is it Yahweh coming or is it David? Because Yahweh makes very clear he's doing it, yet he said he's going to mediate it through this eternal Davidic prince. This Messiah to come who will be the mediation of God with us who brings us into an eternal covenant of peace where he himself will reign over us forever. That's a remarkable vision and a remarkable prophecy foretold of that which might come. But what will that look like? How, how will God mediate with man? How's, how's that going to look? Well, we'll see in a moment. But notice what kind of reign this Davidic prince is going to be. It's going to be a prince of peace. He is going to usher in an eternal state of perfect peace. We see this in verse uh, 25 through the end of the thing, right? I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Let's think through that a little bit, right? We talk about wild beasts, right? That is a metaphor in the scriptures that talk about that which seeks to destroy and devour the people of God. It usually refers to the nations at large. 
the nations, the wicked nations, they are wicked beasts which seek to devour. And so back in Isaiah 11, when you saw the, the lion laying with the lamb and the beast lying with that these things and the snake not biting and the child playing with the serpent, that was a symbolic metaphorical picture of the day when under that righteous branch of Jesse, when this Davidic Prince of Peace comes, of when there will be peace among the nations, when there will be peace among ethnicities, when there will be peace among people that have no business being brought together in covenant unity. This is what he's talking about is going to happen. He says that he's going to shower them with blessing and prosperity and goodness, right? That they, that, and when we think about prosperity, we're not talking about riches and lavishing in, in the material sense. We're talking about that sense of there is never a moment that your needs are unmet when it comes to this promise to come. That your heart and your mind is at complete peace because you know the things you need will be utterly and overflowingly provided for through this Davidic prince who is mediating Yahweh to the nations. God to the nations. I'll break the bars of their yoke. And I will deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. I'm going to break chains of oppression and bondage. I'm going to give them peace on all sides. They're not going to be prey anymore, devoured by the nations, no longer consumed, no longer suffering reproach. I am the Lord their God, and they will know me. And they, the house of Israel, right? Remember, house of Israel is covenantal. To be in the Israel of God, you must be in covenant with God. And so in other words, the only way that this promise is going to apply to you has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has everything to do with, are you in covenant with that Davidic prince? Because if you're not in, co in covenant with that messianic Davidic king that's coming, that Davidic ruler that's coming, these blessings have nothing for you if you are not tied to him. If you are not grafted into that righteous branch Isaiah 11 talked about. So the Israel of God is not so much a physical nation as much as it is a covenantal people. And as goes the king, so goes the nation. So if you're not tied to the king, if you're not in fealty to the king, if you're not surrendered to the king, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You don't belong to the Israel of God. That's Paul's whole argument in Romans 9-11. through but if you are subjected and surrendered to this king of peace, this Davidic prince to come, we are told you have peace. You will have peace forever. And we know just what this peace will look like and that it's forever because of what Isaiah said back in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, verses 7, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be what? No end. No end to it. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it and with justice and with righteousness from this time forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
That peace, this covenant of peace that Ezekiel's talking about, that Isaiah was talking about, these prophecies foretold of peace, that word police, peace, shalom, right? We think of shalom. What do we mean? Shalom is a restored relationship with God. It is the secure enjoyment of life made whole in the blessings that come with being in constant communion with Him. That's what shalom is. It is shalom is being at perfect and constant communion with the Almighty God. It is to know that I am completely restored in my relationship to Him. I want you to know today, my friends, every problem that exists in this world, every ounce of pain and suffering, every act of injustice and oppression is due to the result of this singular fact. Man is at conflict with God. Since Genesis 3 onward, man has been at conflict with God. And that is the supreme conflict. And what the enemy has sought to do to humanity is to turn us against one another and say the main conflict's there. The main conflict is Republican-Democrat. The main Republican is Russia-China. That's the main. It just focus on that. Kill each other while you're at it. Send each other to hell while you're at it. That's what the enemy wants. So that you forget that the main conflict is that you are not at peace with God. And yet this is what this shalom will will bring. This Prince of Peace. Yes, he will bring peace among the nations. But the primary thing that he brings, the most important thing that he brings, It's peace with God. And my friend, wherever you sit today, that is your greatest need. Your greatest need is to be able to walk out of this room today and know with full assurance that you have peace with God. Do you know that today? Are you certain of that today? If so, if not so, I will show you in a moment exactly who you must look to. This will come through a covenant. And we see this language throughout the prophets of of another covenant that's coming. That's different from these other covenants. Meaning, these other covenants are not the final, ultimate covenant. They are not just the simple administration of an eternal covenant. Instead, these other covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, they are types and shadows pointing to a greater covenant to come. A new covenant, we're told. A covenant of peace that will bring peace with God, where the people in it will know God directly. And Jeremiah talks about this, but I want you to notice Jeremiah 31 is structured just like Ezekiel 34. Because the beginning of Jeremiah 31, this is the promise of Yahweh. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. So Yahweh is promising, though he has scattered them in judgment, he's going to gather them back. He's going to gather his sheep back 
as a shepherd. And this is what he's going to do. Verse 33 and 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Why is that so important? Because that's what's going to give you peace with Him. As long as that sin isn't dealt with, you're at enmity. You're at war with a holy God. So that sin nature has got to be dealt with. It's got to be covered. It's got to be cleansed if the promise of peace can in any way be made possible. They will know and no one will have to teach their neighbor. What does that mean? That means that this, in this new covenant, your relationship with God will not have to be mediated through anybody else. Your knowledge of God will not be second hand in the new covenant. You know him directly. He will be your father in heaven. And you will need Blake Hart to go to him. You go directly in this new covenant. And so this glorious promise is foretold. A promise of peace. And then for the next 580 years from the time this prophecy is given in Ezekiel. It is dead silent. I mean, you get a little bit all the way up through Malachi, and for 400 years, complete silence. Israel is under captivity. Darkness is over the land. Promising, looking, singing songs like Psalm 80, which you saw this morning. Yearning and longing for the day that this Davidic shepherd king who's going to be God but also man and I don't know how that works but it's, it's going to happen and we're looking for it and we're longing for it and it's yearning and people so want it so are looking for this gleam of light to pierce the nation that finally we might know shalom and my friends today I want you to see this prophecy foretold fulfilled The prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ. First, I want you to see that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is Yahweh who has come to shepherd and rescue his sheep. And there's no greater passage of this than John 10. John 10. If you have your Bible, please turn there to that. We'll have it up on the screen. But I I need you to know, and and I'm going to say this. I'm just going to say this to you. Get a Bible. Get a hard physical copy Bible. Because I can alter that. I can alter that. I didn't alter it. But I can alter that. (laughs) And you just take it. Get this physical copy Bible. And you keep it with you. And you read it. And you hold fast to it. And you be a Berean. And you test it. You test it. You test every word you hear. John chapter 10, Jesus has just been indicting a bunch of wicked shepherds, the Pharisees, for their wickedness. And this is what he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Not just shepherd, he's the door. All right. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. We'll stop there for a second. That's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Why? Because you're not good shepherds. You come to steal, kill, and destroy my people. You take advantage of them, just like the wicked shepherds of Ezekiel 34, 1-10. If you were like my father, what would you do? You'd be shepherd-like. But you're not. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus says what? I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And you may think, well, they probably didn't know what he was saying. He's probably just using good language. Maybe Jesus is trying to use a good metaphor. No. Jesus is specifically referring to Ezekiel 34. I am the good shepherd who has come to gather my sheep. I am Yahweh come to gather my sheep. Unless you think they didn't know that's what he was saying, let's look at the next chapter. Jump over to verse 25. Or this is verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be what? One flock, one shepherd. So there are other sheep of this fold. Who are those sheep? Gentiles. You're right. The nations. Remember what God said? I'm going to bring them in from the nations in Ezekiel 34. Other sheep. But notice what he says. How many flocks are there going to be? One. How many shepherds are going to be? One. Not two. God has got two different plans for two different people. He's got one. There's one shepherd, one flock, Jew and Gentile, grafted together in the single Israel of God. That is why Paul could say to a bunch of Romans, for the true Jew is one whose heart has been circumcised. And why he could say to the Philippians, you are the true circumcision. And why he could say in Galatians 6, praise be to you, the Israel of God. Crafted in because we are under the one shepherd king. Notice how Jesus continues though. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Oh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So you want to know, how can I know if I've been brought into pasture? How can I know if I'm securely under the Davidic prince? And the answer is, is do you obey his voice? Do you hear and come? If you continue to put off the voice of the shepherd, you are not his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Notice he says, I give it. I give it. Who can say that? But God. I give it. And and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Thank God for that promise. Remember that safety on all sides. I will bring them where no one will be able to devour them and pull them away. That's this promise being fulfilled and it's the greatest promise. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So He's Yahweh, but the Father, you start to see that Trinitarian language leak in there. I and the Father are one. Now here it is. Lest anyone ever tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. He just did. 
And here's the proof. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Notice, he says, which work are you going to stone me for? Listen to their answer. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man do what? Make yourself God. They darn sure knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. So they went to kill him. If Jesus was just a good teacher parading around, he wouldn't have went to the cross. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to destroy him because they knew exactly what he was saying. He's saying, I am Yahweh. Ezekiel 34, I have come. I am the good shepherd. I have come to gather my sheep. No one will snatch them from their hand. I will give them eternal life. The Father and I are one on this. God the Father, I am God the Son, and we are one in this purpose of gathering the sheep of whom I will rule over forever as their shepherd. Promise fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus let out a cry in Bethlehem, on that starry night 2,000 years ago, it was the cry of the shepherd king to come to bring peace to his people. Because he is not just the good shepherd, right? He is a prince of peace. And notice as the shepherd, these are the things he does for us. Matthew 11, 28-30. We'll go to Matthew 11. Yeah. Notice, remember from Ezekiel 34, I will break the yoke and the oppression against you. This is what Jesus promises. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn it from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. As he said in Ezekiel. I will make them lie down. And sustain them. He says this in Matthew 25, 31-33. Remember, this shepherd's also going to be a judge, we're told. When the Son of Man comes in glory, Jesus says, all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate peoples one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Remember, that's exactly what Ezekiel said was going to happen. But notice, now we're getting something interesting. Now we've got something that we didn't see in Ezekiel that's further revealed in Jesus. That... The first coming will be a coming of gathering. But there will be a second advent, which will be a season of judging. Thank God he came gathering before judging. Because if he came judging instead of gathering, none of us in this room would stand saved. He came to gather first. And guess what? He's still gathering. He's gathering until that comes. And I just want to make a brief note on this quickly. I don't have the rest of the verses there, but if you go on, he asks about how he's going to know how to separate the sheep and the goats. And he talks about, my sheep are those who gave water to the thirsty, who cared for those in prison, who bound up the broken. The goats, the wicked, he says, those are the ones who didn't care about those in need, who didn't do what was right. Why? Because they're like the wicked shepherds. They didn't care for those hurting and poor. And to those, they will be cast into outer darkness and judgment forever. So notice what the good shepherd is saying. 
The good shepherd is saying that his sheep become shepherd-like. They reflect his shepherdliness to those who are broken. Why? Because that's what he did for you. And if he came after you and has bound you up and cared for you and, and, and been the and showed you love and mercy and grace. The God of creation did that for you, stooped down to do that for you. There's never a moment in your life that you can turn that away from anybody else. There's never a moment in your life that you can refuse mercy and grace to those who are broken and in need. Because that's precisely what you've been shown. He is the good shepherd. But Jesus is also the Prince of Peace. Notice the night when He was born. The very announcement of His birth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Okay? Got to come through the line of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and a lying manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. The first angelic song, the first Christmas carol is a declaration of peace. Of peace. But that peace is not arbitrary. Notice, it is to those with whom he is well pleased. And how do you get in the king's good graces? And the answer is, you surrender. You surrender. And if you surrender to the king this morning, if you surrender to Jesus, my friend, his peace is yours. And it's irrevocable. And it can't be taken from you. And he will guard it for you. Guard you forever. Jesus, bowing to Jesus, is the only time where surrender leads to victory. He is the Prince of Peace. And I love it because that announcement was made to who? Shepherds. Shepherds. No coincidence. His calming of to bring peace was announced at His birth. But it was purchased by His death. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19-20 For in Him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not some of the fullness. Not half of the fullness. Not part of the fullness. All the fullness of deity. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? The blood of His cross. He came to die. He came to bear eternal torment and wrath so that you could know His eternal peace and comfort. He is Prince of Peace. But in order to give you that peace, He chose first to wear a crown of thorns rather than a crown of gold. And that peace, my friends, has been given to his flock. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
neither let them be afraid. That is his words to us today. That is his words to you today. Jesus came to die so that you could have his peace forever. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Good Shepherd. He brings us and leads us beside still waters. He sets us up a table in the presence of our enemies. He feeds us and sustains us in this wilderness journey as we long to go home to Him or He comes to us. He sustains us day by day, filling us with a peace that can never be taken, never be removed, that is not like the world because this peace is not a man-made treaty. This peace is not a ceasefire. This peace is shalom. It is peace with God and the recognition of the continual blessings that will forever flow from Him because we have communion with Him because Christ came for us. Prophecy fulfilled. And now let's see the promise applied. Because Jesus came this morning, because of Christmas, because of everything that it represents, Christ born in Bethlehem, the Son of God made flesh, born of a virgin, the Savior of mankind, Emmanuel, God with us. Because He came, first, we can have peace with God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access. Access to who? To God. By Him, we've obtained access by faith into this grace into which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. My friends, because Christ came, you can have peace with God today. The greatest conflict that you need destroyed. The greatest war in your life. Those, that spiritual battle that so wages heavy against you. The realities of shame and guilt that weigh heavy upon you. The sin that you cannot stumble past. The, the things that constantly seek to be destroying you. The shadows of your soul that flood day in and out of the reality that you stand guilty before a holy God have been removed if you're in Christ. And there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says in that same passage of Romans 8, for this is what God did by sending His Son in the flesh so that sin could be condemned in the flesh. That's why He came. He came so that you could have peace with God. I pray that this morning that you have peace with God. And the only way to do so this morning is by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ in saving faith. And you will be justified, declared right, have peace with God. And that peace will never be removed. Secondly, we can have peace within. Oh, to know what that peace would be like. Maybe that's you this morning. You're tired of anxiety. Maybe you've struggled with depression your whole life. And I'm not saying that Jesus is some magic eraser where the conflicts go away, where the anxieties go away. But He is the one weapon. He is the one thing that you can constantly apply to your life that no matter how hard the storm rages, no matter how hard the difficulties hit, 
There his peace can come and just remove it and eradicate it. That even in the midst of the storm, you can have peace. Even in the midst of the pain, you can have peace. Even in the midst of the loss, you can have peace. Even in the midst of the sorrow and the confusion, you can have peace within. Because Jesus, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You ask me to explain it to you today. I can't. It surpasses all understanding. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in who? In Christ Jesus. There's a song I love. My grandmother, my great-grandma Webb, she used to sing it. I just, and I miss being a little boy and Hearing her preparing Sunday dinner and singing these songs. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I was wondering, like, what does it mean, peace like a river? It means God's peace isn't static, it's constantly flooding through you and over you. It's constantly, it's, it's, like, it's like the Nile, man. It's, 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 you, you can try to dam it up the best you can with anxiety and pain, but it will find a way through. It will constantly break through. His peace is overwhelming and it will flood your soul. And though every pain and sorrow and circumstance should come your way, His peace will always be there. And you can stand firmly on that today. Oh, I want you to have that peace. I want you to have that peace like a river. In your soul. I want you to have Jesus. I want you to have the babe of Bethlehem. That you might have his peace within. And lastly. Because he came. We can have peace with each other. Ugh, that sounds hard. But Paul writes the most important thing. In Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus. You once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For though he, through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation and the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know the only hope for Palestine and Israel? is Jesus. They both need Jesus. They both need to believe on their Messiah. They both need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the only one who brings peace in the hostility. The only reason that any of us in this room today, the only reason that there are millions of people worshiping today and on every continent in this world is because of Jesus. And by His blood, 
He has brought us peace. We so spend our time wasting our time trying to give the world everything. Well, if you guys would just do this, then things would probably work out. Or if, if these laws were just passed, it would finally be peace. No, there wouldn't. A man-made utopia is not possible. Every time man tries to bring heaven down on his own terms, he only brings hell up. And every communist and secular utopian paradise that's ever sought to be created has led to people get their head getting cut off in the guillotine in France, people being burned and destroyed in China, millions of people round up and killed in Russia, or in concentration camps burning those who aren't like us in Germany. It's all the same reality. Man cannot bring peace, but God did. And the God-man, Jesus Christ. Our only hope, our only hope for peace in this world is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And there is no other answer to give to anybody than that, Christian. And if you're wasting more time giving them other answers besides Jesus, you're getting away from the gospel. You're getting away from truth. And you're going right where the enemy wants you to go. Keep talking about all that stuff. Just don't talk about the gospel. Don't talk about the real need, which is Jesus. You will never know peace if you continue to look for it everywhere else but Jesus. And so let this thing, let this truth be yours this Advent season and forevermore. Start it right now where all of our hearts are centered on Jesus' coming and Christ. All of the realities of what He's done for us. This is the call to you, dear Christian. Isaiah 26.3 You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts you. That's the call for you, dear Christian. Do you want peace? Stay your mind on Jesus. Stay your mind on your good shepherd. Stay your mind on the Prince of Peace. You will have a peace like no other. Let your mind, let your heart, let your homes remain stayed upon Jesus this Christmas season and beyond. Resting in the perfect peace that the babe of Bethlehem was birthed to bring. Do you long for peace today? Right now is every fiber of your soul saying, oh, I want peace. Look to Jesus. Look to the manger. And see in it God's gift of peace to you. Forevermore. Forevermore. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the peace that came with him. The shalom that Jesus has brought. That he himself is our shalom. That he is the door by which we have complete and utter un, unmovable, immovable access to you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that he is our good shepherd. That there is nowhere that we can go that he is not. There is no valley that we do not walk through that He is not there in our midst. That He both leads us from the front and He guards us from behind. And He stands in our midst that we may feel His presence. So we have His presence. We have His protection. And we have His provision. Oh, what a good shepherd Jesus is. And Lord, we thank You that He is indeed our Prince of Peace. 
a, a, a reality that you announced at his birth through the angelic host, and a reality that he purchased by his death at the cross. Jesus, we cannot thank you enough for that. We thank you, Lord, for giving us peace where there was none, of bringing hope where there was none, of breaking down the conflict that we had with you. Lord, we thank you for reaching down to us when we had no possibility of reaching up towards you. We thank you for the peace that you've given us. And Lord, I pray for a double dose of it. I pray that you would just fill us more with your peace, that we would be a people who live and walk with an unshakable, unwavering peace that is contagious to the world around us, and that our single answer will always and forever be, it's all because of Jesus. So Lord... Set our hearts and stay our minds upon you and fulfill your promise that you would give us your peace. Those whose mind is stayed on you and who trust you, help us do both. Oh Lord, thank you, Jesus, for coming and seeking and saving us, your lost sheep. Lord, set our hearts and our homes upon Christ this season. And let your peace fall upon our homes like the freshly falling snow on the ground. And like the snow, Lord, may it muffle. May it muffle out all the noise that seeks to distract us. And draw us away from the reality that we have everything we need in you. And Lord, I pray this morning, God, if there's someone right now who you're stirring upon their heart. To step towards you in faith to receive the peace that Jesus alone can give. I pray that they will do so right now, surrendering their life to you forever, knowing the peace that you alone can give. It's in the Prince of Peace's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.